Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. Quick show of hands. This is not a test, but a quick show of hands. How many of you heard a word in that scripture passage that made you a little bit uncomfortable? Yeah, okay, what was it? Sin, disobedience, unbelief, saving, or maybe that sentence where Paul says, it's a wonder God didn't do away with the whole lot of us. Real nice, Paul. So much passion, so many problems. <laughs> um, you're going to have to trust me this morning. But before we go there, I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor. It's been a few weeks since we've done this. I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to ask them, and if you're online, just type your response in the response box, what is something that you failed at recently? You can go as deep or as shallow as you want. Maybe it was parallel parking or a new banana muffin recipe. Maybe you recently got fired. Turn to your neighbor and, and ask them, what's something you failed at recently? And if there's nothing, you're a liar, but also you can just introduce yourself. That's fine, go ahead. Wrap it up, wrap it up. We got a lot of failures in here today. <laughs> I asked Anne what she failed at this week, and she said, I failed at communicating with Claire. And I asked Claire what she failed at this week, and she said, I failed at listening to Anne. <laughs> oh, goodness. Thanks, thanks, everyone. So I have a story that I'm going to share with you this morning, but first I'm going to ask that we pray together. Loving God, your grace makes us whole. In this message, may we find that freedom. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. Amen. So about a month ago, I made a very, capital V, big, capital B, decision, capital D, to quit social media for the summer. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It gets worse. It gets worse. So I was caught in that content comparison compulsion cycle that so many of us experience on these platforms, and I decided that what I needed to do was employ a spiritual practice. I was going to do a fast. I was going to do a digital fast, and I made a huge deal about it. I posted a reel on my Instagram about it. I asked people for their mailing addresses so that I could send postcards. I dubbed it Hot Girl Analog Summer. I told the Christian Century that I would write an article for them in September about how the tech girl decided to go tech-free. And then I said a big, like, see ya in September. It's going to be great. And I deleted all the apps. Boop, boop, boop. No big deal. It was going really really blissfully well for 21 days. Yeah, and on day 21, I was sitting in my apartment and I was looking out over the river walk that's down below me and I noticed something. And the noticing led me to do something quite embarrassing. Now, I have shaped my entire calling out of authentically and faithfully showing up online. And what that means is that when something really embarrassing happens to me, I take it straight to Twitter. 
It's like my confession booth. The people of the Bird app have to know we cannot take ourselves too seriously. We can be both intelligent and daft. We can be very put together and entirely covered in mustard. We are more than one thing, you know? I like to tell the people on social media this. So that's exactly what I did. It was habitual. I downloaded the app. I posted a tweet about my experience. And after I did it, I was like, oh. And then I was like, it's okay, like, nobody follows you anyway, Andrea, it's fine, nobody's gonna see it. No one's gonna see it. <laughs> Chucks, do you want to show them a video? Stampede kicking off in just under a week, Calgarians are ready to yell, ooh, hey, or wait, or yahoo, as they shake off their stampede rust. Andrea Irwin is new to Calgary and quickly got acquainted with the city after seeing the Yahoo sign backwards from her apartment balcony and asking her neighbor what the sign meant. Okay. Um, a listener, Andrea Irwin, and she posted a text chain and you guys had a great time with this. Yes, this is so precious. She's a new Calgarian mm. and so she doesn't know what Yahoo is. I think <laughs> Yahoo's only a thing in Calgary for the Stampede. So she's like, oh, this is so cute. They put up a sign. Ooh, hey. Like, why not? And she had to, like, text a friend and be like, oh, this is so cool. I love this so much. Oh, hey, downtown Calgary. Uh, her friend had to be like, ah, no, this is yeah, actually yeah, Yahoo uh, promoting. Nice about it because totally. I would have just ripped her apart. <laughs> she was like, it's actually Yahoo, but yeah. I love it. I love it so much. And for the, the, the debate, always is Yeehaw or Yahoo. Yeah. It's Yahoo Apparently every time. Apparently, it's Yahoo. Erwin saying she'll take in Stampede donned in Western gear with her dog Eugene sporting his flashy red bandana. In Calgary, Jillian Code, City News. Everyone saw it, 6,000 Twitter likes and counting. I failed so hard, I was caught red-handed. Nenshi even retwittered me, retweeted me. I know, I know, our guy. And sure, it was, it was hilarious, but I have to be honest, it totally, totally rattled me. There is nothing that strips away my own sense of self-worth like not keeping a promise that I made to myself. Forget about the fact I said something stupid. That's normal for me. You guys have, you've experienced me enough. These things just sometimes they just come out of my mouth. But the fact that I had made a promise to myself and made it so publicly and then flopped on it, I was mortified. This self-loathing, like it was muscle memory, all of those nattering thoughts, like no one's ever gonna take me seriously, the news made me look ditzy, I'm not capable of willpower, I can't trust myself not to self-sabotage, people are laughing at me, and underneath it all, I know it sounds ridiculous, but underneath it all, there's that monster, something so little can happen, and shame just bubbles up. And the Bible and Brene Brown are both telling me that what I was feeling was a doubting of my worth. That I was bad. Again, not for the ooh hey. Moving off track. <laughs> Who am I to be loved when I am such a blank? Fill in the blank. And I know that this is such a silly example, and I could have given you another three from this week that were not as silly, but the silliness of this is exactly the point. I had a crisis of self-worth this week, and you, sweet friends, and my 6,000 new Twitter friends were like, nah, you're good, girl. It happens to all of us. Why is it so easy for us to beat ourselves up for the human crap 
that we get ourselves into. It is so easy. So enter our writer Paul this morning. And Paul, in his messy and evangelistic way, says this, ooh, hey, is all a part of it. This is all a part of it. These feelings of uncertainty, this shameful inadequacy, this giving into ourselves and the desires of this world, it is all a part of it. And you know what? We can trust Paul on that. Before he became a follower of the way, what we now call Christianity, but back then, the way, Paul was a Pharisee. This is the religious class known for interpreting the Torah most accurately. And he took those laws so seriously that he was out for blood and not figuratively. He actively persecuted Christ followers with violence before he became one himself. It was not exactly something that the future him was proud of. When describing the resurrection, Paul calls himself the least of the apostles, feeling this deep unworthiness for the task at hand, given that he wasn't actually there to see the resurrection. He calls himself the least of the saints and the worst of sinners. And then, in arguments with some of the disciples, he proclaims to be a super apostle. He holds fast to this experience that he had on the road with Christ and all that Christ bestowed on him. He steps into this new way of being. So we yell to Paul, how? How do we escape the hold that our failures, our mistakes, our insecurities have on us? How do we proclaim to be good, to be worthy, to be super even? I don't think the Bible actually used that word, but we ask Paul these questions. And this is what I heard this week. And I hope that maybe there's something in here for you too. Number one, we worship what declares us worthy. At this point in Paul's life, he is now a Christ follower. And Paul was convinced that people who were not worshiping Christ were worshiping wrong. We don't like Paul for this. Wars have been fought because of thoughts like this. We do not support language that suggests people of other faiths are wrong. And there is a lens through which we can read this. When we worship the wrong things, we are drawn away from our worthiness. And we have all worshipped the wrong things. Worship meaning putting it above all else, treating something with reverence, handing over our life to it. Money, sex, power, beauty, attention, technology, pleasure. These are all things that the world worships. A quote came into my inbox this week that made me think. It was uh, by author David Foster Wallace. And it says this, In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there's no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. 
And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah or Yahweh or the Wiccan mother goddess or the four noble truths or so, some involatable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel like enough. If you worship your body and beauty and sexual allure, you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. Hmm. If you want to experience your worthiness, you have to worship that which declares you worthy. When you worship the little, oh, it's on the bench, I, God, in your pocket, you aren't being called worthy. You're being called reliant. When you worship the attention of the newest bumble match that you started talking to, you're not being called worthy. You're being called an option. When you worship the things that numb you, you're not being called worthy. You're being called empty. But if you worship that which created you, or that which sets you free, the message you are receiving fundamentally changes. You are being called an image of the divine. You are being called precious. You are being called wonderful. You are being called chosen. You are being called good. Why would you worship anything that says otherwise? If you want to experience worthiness, Worship what declares you innately worthy. Number two, you, ooh, this is a tough pill to swallow for me. You are not the main character. And I am sorry. I know there are some of you here who love that main character energy, and I am one of you. Why else would I post my feel-good rom-com moment on Twitter? But this is the fundamental reason I wanted to use the message version of this, uh, this letter today. That's what Nick read to us from, the, Eugene Peterson's The Message. Verse 9 says, we don't play the major role. And I know this is coming from a guy who just called himself a super apostle, but this is the reality of things. We're going to get it, and then sometimes we're not going to get it, and we get it when we remember to get it. But when we place ourselves at the center of the story, everything becomes personal. Every failure, every criticism, every rejection. Of course, we're not going to feel worthy when we think it's all about us. We're going to feel pressure. We're going to feel less than. We're going to feel like an imposter. And society would have us believe that self-worth is this elevation of the self, but it's not. It's an emptying of the self to what we inherently are, worthy of this life. When we remove that main character energy, I just see like sparkly star emojis around it whenever I say it. When we remove that we see that everyone around us is playing the main character in their own story. Your faux pas, your egregious error, the times you've hurt someone, the 20 pounds, your ooh hey, it does not affect most people. 
Most people, there are exceptions, but most people do not have any idea what it is you are or aren't getting right. Because you are not the main character in their story. They are. They are the main character in their story. And the sooner we realize that, the sooner we can return to what it is we are really are underneath all of the performances we try to put on to live up to some false expectation. Someone who is worthy. If you want to experience worthiness, stop making yourself the main character. And finally, the three-point sermon. Just be you for crying out loud. We cause ourselves so much pain trying to be the things that we are not, things we were never meant to be, flawless, blameless, singularly faceted. We do not have to try so hard. Paul writes, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. And sure, we can dress ourselves up, we can change our habits, we can look with new eyes, we can decide that our new aesthetic is going to be more dark academia than cottage core. We can totally play with who we are. That's part of the joy and the gift of these bodies and these minds and this life we've been given. But when we try and fix ourselves, we close ourselves off to the grace of the blessing that is our birthright as people created by creator. There is no condition that needs to be met in order for us to fit the mold of worthiness. It is who we are. It is how we were made. So if you want to experience worthiness, allow yourself to receive the gift of yourself. Struggling with self-worth or feeling worthy is something we have been taught by the world. It's something we often equate with this word deserving. If I have self-worth, it means that I have done enough to deserve love, joy, or success. We learned this. We were not born believing that we needed to deserve anything. We were simply worthy of it. Whenever I focus on a particular word in a sermon, I like to look up the etymology, so the different ways that the word has been shaped through time. You know, worth is a word that can be used as an adjective. What is this thing worth? It can also be used as a noun, the value of a thing. But worth used to also be used as a verb, especially in Old English. You may have heard the phrase, whoa, worth the day before. Or maybe you didn't actually read Beowulf when it was on the syllabus. Hmm? <laughs> but when worth is used as a verb, it means to come to be, or to become, self-worth, self-worth. 
becoming. God made you. And God made you, you. So try again, I beg of you. It's what we hear every Sunday in those words of assurance. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are set free. That's you we're talking to. That's you. So try again. And in the name of Jesus who lived and died, that you would know love exactly as you are. May you become it. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.